This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 366, Shadow and Substance, Twilight Zone episodes, The Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross, and Probe 7, Over and Out. everyone and welcome back to this sub series of the strangers and alien podcast strangers and aliens of course is a podcast about faith and science fiction and fantasy and this sub series shadow and substance is about faithy themes found in twilight zone episodes and here to join me for the the latest and greatest episode in that sub series of shadow and substance <laughs> is evan and steve how you guys doing good how you doing now, Evan, uh, I hope you don't feel too uh, intimidated stepping into the series like this. Um, oh, well, with I a mean, series that has the, such a pedigree as this one, uh, <laughs> it is a little intimidating, but I think I'm up to the challenge. So we uh, started this series way back in 2013. That's when we started the Shadow and Substance Twilight Zone sub-series that we were doing. Um, and in that time... Uh, I mean, the, the quality for this series has pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, for steady. Very, very steady. Um, and of course, we're being very facetious because we only did one of them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but Evan, last week we were talking about some stuff and we're like, well, what should we do some episodes about? And Evan said, I've been binging Twilight Zone. And I thought, well, hey, there's something. And so... Yeah. Yeah, whatever the most recent uh, season that Evan had been watching. I said, what What have you been watching? And he said, some season five episodes. So I said, let's let's each, uh, you, both of you, grab a season five episode that you like, and we'll talk about those. So well, I thought they were season one. Because <laughs> were you watching Netflix. on CBS All Access? No, I was watching on Netflix. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah, they're... They have everything on there except for season three, I think, or season mm -hmm. four. One of the seasons is missing. Yeah, that's and, the uh, season with the hour-long episodes. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, the uh, yeah, so the order, like they have they have five up at the top. So I thought that was thought it was number one. I started watching with uh, oh the nightmare, at however many thousand feet, because I'd never seen that 000. one before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is our episode that we did before. Um, Back in 2013, nice. uh, with episode <laughs> number 94, we talked about the episodes Nick of Time and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet because they're both uh, William Shatner episodes. So, mm -hmm. well, nice. Yeah. Because he, I think he had just passed away. Uh, no. William Shatner? <laughs> I don't know why you said that, but no, he hadn't. I was just joking. And, and still hasn't. Um, he's, he's still with us. <laughs> so anyway uh yeah continue evan what what caused you to decide to start binging this 
Well, I've had it on my Netflix list, and you know, I liked the show. I've I've seen probably over a dozen episodes throughout my life a couple of times, and I watched some of the new show on CBS, and I always enjoy. I pretty much always enjoyed the the series, and so I've been. Uh, I've returned to work full time, uh, doing some animation work, and so it, it's a lot of tediousness. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and so then to break up the routine, I took all my equipment upstairs into my recliner, and I just put on Twilight Zone while I've been animating. Uh, and you know, it's, it's nice cause most of it is dialogue driven. And then if a scene changes, I can look up and see what's going on real quick and go back to my, uh, work. So it's just been a nice podcast substitute for when I'm animating. And so starting with season five, which honestly doesn't matter <laughs> because yes, it does there's, not matter. <laughs> there's no connective <laughs> tissue between these except for Rod Serling and some of the writers and you might, you might catch an actor or two that you've already seen before, but yeah. Yeah. So starting with season five, th- what's nice about the twilight zone is it's a classic sci-fi series that you can easily say, Hey, but don't watch the whole thing. You know, Babylon yeah. five, we can't say that. Right. So Babylon five, like if you want to watch Babylon five, you've got to watch the first season, which is a little rough, but you don't want to start in the middle with season two. You want, you want to start with season one. But Twilight Zone, you can start episode three from season five, episode two from season one, and just bounce around episode as much as you want. 154. <laughs> yeah, any episode, just pick one. And we actually use these um, uh, at some point in, in homeschool because we would watch these sort of like for our um, uh, 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 lunch break. And then we would we would talk about them and talk about the issues and things that that it was addressing. And then, you know, what the series was about as a whole. What are some of the the themes that it was trying to pull out, you know, as an entire series that we could look at. So, what was uh, nice for me? I used them in my English classroom, and nice. I would often um, pull one of them out just because it would go along thematically with the, something we we're studying for literature, and then. Also, uh, there were some times when with our homeroom, we would just turn on a Twilight Zone episode because it was, what, 22 minutes, 23 minutes, and mm-hmm. it was safe. <laughs> and even though it was black and white, uh, the kids still would watch it. So, yeah. Very cool. So for this episode, we're going to talk about two different ones. And the only thing that links them, unlike what we usually do with this series, which is, you know, we, we pick some sort of thematic connection, you know, like, like with William Shatner for that one episode and that other episode with William Shatner. Um, and, and then the William Shatner one, but for this, uh, it really was as simple as I just wanted to, I threw out the idea, let's do the twilight zone. And then, uh, I was, well, I'm just going to let Evan and, and Steve drive this one. Pick an episode from, from season five. There's some good episodes in season five. And I was looking through, I was trying to decide what I would have chosen. And I don't know what I would have chosen. I might have gone with uh, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. That's a good one, yeah. That's a really good one. Ambrose Beers. Classic. I did not like that one at all. Well, you couldn't watch that and, and look away. Because <laughs> there's hardly any there's dialogue. No dialogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that one, what's interesting about that one is it's uh, it was not made for the Twilight Zone. 
Uh, the Brain Center at Whipples. That's a good one because that one actually has Robbie the Robot in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched that one. Yeah, Black Leather Jackets. The less I say about that one, the better. <laughs> Because of the twist. Like, I don't want to give away anything. Right. Um, but the one I probably would have chosen was is Living Doll. Which is the one with, uh, is that Talking, not Talking Tina. Yeah, Talkie Tina. Yeah, Talkie Tina. Yeah. I purposely avoided that one. Why? Yeah, it's creepy. Because it's creepy. Yes. <laughs> Just even so reading the description, good. I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> um <laughs> The one I would have picked other than this one, and it and I couldn't find it because I couldn't remember the name, but now I remember it is a stopover in a quiet town or a small town. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good one. Yeah, that we, next time we do it, that's going to be my pick for sure. Um, Steel was another interesting one too. Which yeah. one? That's the boxing Steel. one. Steel. Oh, I didn't see that one. That in, was in, in the in the far flung future of, of nineteen seventy four. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the masks? Yes. I oh, that's a wild one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So here's what happened. Steve chose one. Evan chose one. And we watched them. And I read the uh, original story that inspired both of them. Um, and I say that and it's a little bit of a joke, but we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, so it's the self-improvement of Salvador Ross and it's probe seven over and out. Yeah. And so... Uh, which one did we say we we're going to start with? I don't remember. I think we we're going to flip a coin, a metaphorical coin. Well, yep. let's just start with the self-improvement of Salvador Ross, because that's what my uh, first uh, bookmark in the Twilight Zone Companion is. Okay. Yeah, so this one was from 1964, written by Jerry McNeely, but it's based on a short story by Henry Slezar, who is a science fiction writer, but also a TV writer. And this is where I actually tracked down the original story from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction from 1961. And so here is what Rod Serling says at the beginning of that confidential personnel file on Salvador Ross personality, a volatile mixture of fury and frustration, distinguishing character, physical characteristic, a badly broken hand, which will require emergency treatment at the nearest hospital. Ambition shows great determination toward self-improvement estimate of potential success. A sure bet for a listing in who's who in the twilight zone. In the twilight zone. <laughs> uh, so that that's actually kind of funny because the inciting incident here is he gets so angry at his wannabe girlfriend's dad that he punches the door, her house door. And has to go to the hospital overnight because he broke his hand right. on the door. <laughs> so. Because they had to keep him overnight this is in the 1960s for a broken hand. Imagine like breaking anything and going to the, like you're breaking your leg and going to the hospital and having them keep you overnight or something. Because they it's had like to they set the cast. Throw... That's what they said. <laughs> I didn't go so far as to research to find out like, would you really? They couldn't just do it then. The doctor was wasn't there. Time. He'd already gone home. I guess. Maybe it was just a different time in the world. It definitely was a different time. Took, took multiple days to set a broken bone. So in the in the original story, it actually starts with him just falling off uh, uh, something at work and, and falling 15 feet and breaking his leg. Ouch. Uh, but then does the same thing where, well, I'll just read the, the description in, from the... 
The Twilight Zone Companion, which is one of the essential books. If you're a Twilight Zone fan, you really want this book. It has lots of nice little tidbits of information. But when Leah Maitland, his former social worker, rejects his romantic overtures, Ross angrily punches a door and breaks his hand. Admitted to a hospital, (laughs) he makes the acquaintance of an elderly patient suffering from severe bronchial congestion. Facetiously, Ross suggests they trade ailments. The old man agrees. Later that night, Ross finds to his amazement that it has worked. He now has a cold, but no broken arm. Utilizing his bizarre talent, Ross trades 46 years of his life to an aged millionaire in exchange for a million dollars and a posh apartment. He then buys back his youth from a variety of young men, a few years at a time. His vitality restored, he sets sets about courting Leah in style, but it's no use. Leah wants a man with compassion, a trait her crippled father has in abundance. Although Mr. Maitland objects strongly to him, Ross convinces him to sell him his compassion for (laughs) $100,000. The next day, Ross, and this is spoilers, everyone, so maybe you should stop and watch if you haven't seen this episode before. The next day, Ross, now filled with compassion, easily wins Leah's love. But when he tells her father of his plans to marry her and asks his blessing, the compassionless Mr. Maitland pulls a gun and kills him. And then Rod Serling says, the Salvador Ross program for self-improvement, the all-in-one surefire success course that lets you... I don't know what this phrase means. That lets you lick the bully, learn the language, dance the tango, and anything else you want to do or think you want to do. Money back guarantee, offer limited to the Twilight Zone. And I just realized lick the bully means beat up the bully. Yes. Like when I was watching this, I just thought, wait, lick the bully? But yeah, (laughs) beat up the bully. Who would lick a bully? So here's one of the problems with the the Twilight Zone Companion is if there's not a lot of interesting information, um, it just the the listing is limited to this and then some like review critique kind of stuff. And so like he spends a whole or half a paragraph talking about how the makeup isn't great, the aging makeup, which I actually thought looked looked kind of good. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So that's than, the episode. Better, better than some of the aging on, uh, what is it, Jupiter Rising, that they had tried to do with some of the characters. I but, thought uh, some of it was very good, actually. And some then, of, of course, it may have been, some, but... Some of it's not. Some of it, I... It, it, that's a different conversation. So it, it is. <laughs> I actually haven't that. seen that yet, so... All right. It doesn't ruin it for anybody if yeah. I mention the makeup. So one of the reasons why we had to spoil it was because if we're going to talk about this, then we have to, I mean, the ending is kind of what gives you a lot of the punch for almost any Twilight Zone Mm -hmm. episode. What's interesting about this is that it is based on an original story that, like I said, was in the, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. The story is basically the same thing. The one difference is the time frame involved. Uh, there's a little more time involved where he makes his changes and it's actually almost a year before he comes back to talk to Leah. Um, whereas in this one, she's like, no, no. And she's this really strong character. And I was really impressed with this, the, this woman's character that they had, you know, this is 1964 and she's a strong woman who's making choices and who's saying, no, I don't like you. And you can't like, <laughs> he feels like that. What do they call the, um, kind of the bro kind of thing where he's like, no, I'm going to push myself on you until, uh, until you say, you know, I break you down and you say, you say yes now, but 
She keeps saying no. Her dad says, it doesn't matter what I think. She's her own person. Uh, but then in a day, in a day, she's changed her mind about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, granted, she now has her father's compassion, um, which is really, that's all nice. I just wish there had been a little bit more time spent uh, where we see her being won over by his actual compassion. And sometimes a woman knows in a day, you know? You, you mean sometimes a woman knows when a person has a complete and utter personality change, they'll know within a day? That's possible, I guess. Yeah. I mean, every yeah. time I've seen it happen, it takes longer, but... She's just a discerning young lady of the 60s. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is a plot thing where the plot had to go from point A to point B to point C to point D. Right. Um, and in the story, they did some nice work with that, though, where it actually talks about him. And, and actually, he doesn't win her over in a day in the story. Um, he wants to win her over but he doesn't get the chance to because of the the whole twist at the end there with the, the dad, but it talks about him walking down the street and hearing a kid cry and wanting to go over and, and console him. And, um, uh, there's a panhandler and he gives the person money, you know, and it actually shows very nicely, um, that he has changed and, and you realize, Oh, this, this is definitely a change. And this, it's just that she likes him again. He, she likes him now. And, and he is acting a little bit nicer, um, but we also literally get Chekhov's gun in this one, guys. I know it's literally Chekhov's gun. I didn't yeah. notice that. Well, they were talking about his uh, his time in the war where he got hurt. Oh, when he's got it on the when he's got it on the the wall. Yeah, they're literally Chekhov's gun. If you put Chekhov's gun on the wall in Act One, you got to use it in Act Two, and yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting that, and. This is one I'm not sure if I watched before. I don't know if this this might have been the first time I've seen this one. Huh. I'm not I'm not sure. I just don't remember it. And Yeah, but as soon as dad came to the door at the end, the door opens, he's sitting there, he puts his hands under his blanket. Mm, and because his hands are probably cold. No, because there's a gun under the blanket. That's <gasps> that's the moment where I'm like, well, what's going on here? Is there What's going on? I didn't pick up on any of that. <laughs> it was I was I was very surprised when he pulled out the gun. I'm like, oh man, this escalated quickly. Because <laughs> like the guy, the what's his name, the main character, Sal. Yeah, when he, when he is compassionless, he's not killing anybody. <laughs> like he maybe he maybe gives off a hint of that. He wants to get violent, but he never actually does except to that door. Well, let's talk about these personality <laughs> changes. Definitely. Because and let's start with the, with the father. Um, he doesn't like Sal at all. And it's clear he doesn't like Sal, but he's always very respectful to him, you know, and he'll, I'll hear you out. I'll listen. Okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll hear you give me this ridiculous, um, thing and i one of the things i really liked about the 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 teleplay and this the the episode not the story is he says i have an offer to make you i want to buy something i want to buy a hundred thousand dollars to buy something you have that i want totally thought he was gonna say i want your daughter and i'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for her right and instead they just fade to black and he doesn't actually say it because he's uh he says what what is it and he says well it's kind of complicated fade 
I love that, that they didn't yeah. actually say what it was. That was really, really effective. I did not think he was asking for the daughter because he's only able to trade things that are like physically a part of a person. Well, I um, knew he wasn't asking for the daughter when he said it's complicated, but I didn't know what he was asking for. I thought we had Chekhov's wheelchair and he was going to do something where he's tra- <laughs> he's trading the ability to walk. Yeah, you know, yeah. For, yeah. I thought he was going to do that. That never happened. Yeah, except he was offering money. So it's like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to trade a hundred thousand dollars so I can not walk and you can. That didn't work. You know, like there's all yeah. these, like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And I'm glad I watched the episode before I read the story. Cause in the story, he just says it right out. He's like, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for your compassion. <laughs> and then it, it does kind of get with most of these deals, the people agree to it and they legit agree to it. Cause he double confirms with them. But in, in this, he's, he's like, you know, I want your compassion. I know it seems weird, but just agree to it. And then, then he comes back the next day and, and gets shot with a shotgun. He gets shot with a pistol. In the story. He's, it's a shotgun. Oh, still- He's got a shotgun under his blanket <laughs> in his wheelchair. <laughs> so would have been a little bit um, less obvious with the pistol, but yeah. apparently the shotgun was also well hidden in that blanket. <laughs> so yeah, the dad's, the dad's transformation. He does not like Sal and he goes from being a compassionate guy to having no compassion at all. I, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head that escalated really quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless like the, you can explain it that the man in the wheelchair without his compassion is just by default, a much more horrible person than Sal was. And so without the one thing that held, you know, all his violence from the wars and stuff in check, now he's completely unleashed. But they <laughs> I, don't give you that in the. They don't give no, you that in they the don't script. give you anything. Yeah. <laughs> they don't give you anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but See, one of the reasons why I like this episode so much is because I enjoy, you know, superheroes. So whenever I see a story where I'm like, with just like a slight tweak, this could have been a superhero story. And mm. instead, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, so things like this, I'm always like, you know, if, if it was just slightly different, you know, and, and living in that possibility, of course, you know, in the, the end is fantastic. It's just you can't to get away from that ending would just sort of ruin the whole thing, I think. Um, so, you know, I'm always looking for those, those types of stories where there's like, how did he get the superhero? There's, there's like how many different things you could dig into with this, this character. And, you know, you could do a, a second story, like where, where does that power go? Where did it come from? You know, it's like, who, who gives that power? Where, you know, and, and there's, there's so many different things to explore that it just doesn't that sort of keeps my mind spinning sometimes when I encounter a, a stories like that. Speaking of his power, like he does it the first time and then he like immediately knows what has happened and he just assumes that he can do it again and again. Right. Well, and that's, that's the compressed storytelling nature of the twilight zone. Unfortunately, 
when you're talking about 25 minutes, there's not a lot of time necessarily. And sometimes it really works well. It has a lot of impact. And sometimes like with this, they don't have time to explain anything uh, subtly <laughs> and they just have to <laughs> just do it. And uh, that said, they still had some pretty subtle moments that were really effective. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, when they went to an hour long episode format, that didn't, that only lasted one season and, right. and it just wasn't as well received. And, but with this, I, I did love, um, like I said, I, the, the fade to black, but I also loved the elevator where he's, so first he gives up his age and gives like, I'm going to give 46 years to you, dude. You give me a million dollars and, and your pad, man. (laughs) And so he gets that. And then, and again, my mind is just going, where is this going? Like what? what's going to happen here? He he's old now. And then the, the bus boy or whatever you call it for a, a, a motel or not, I guess it's a, it's a hotel or apartment building or whatever. But, um, he comes in I'm like, Oh, that's where it's going to go. And <laughs> he just starts getting the age. But then that one last guy, where he gets on the elevator and you, you don't know, is this a, uh, what do they call it? Is this a dissolve and a, and a time time jump? Time jump. Is it just that one trip down the elevator, or is it multiple? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, but when they get to the I bottom, really that dude's looking old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting that for the most part, uh, he's he's making fair deals with people. Like the people who he's making deals with are coming away happy about the deal. And it's yeah. not like a it's not like a devil's bargain. Right. I'm just curious about that last guy <laughs> with the... Well apparently he likes money more than age. Because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh but you're right. I mean they are mostly fair deals. He's still not a nice guy as he's doing all this stuff. You know, he's obviously making deals with people where they don't quite understand what they're getting into. Um he <laughs> And I wish they would have done this this one. In the story, he gives up his hair to a bald guy. And then he's like, oh, oh, man. <laughs> so he gets – then he goes and gets the hair from a homeless guy and and trades it for <laughs> uh, trades it for a bottle of whiskey and, and uh, like a meal or something like that. <laughs> it's just, oh, man. So you, you don't like him. I wish we got to spend more time with him as a changed man because that's what I – and that's what this all hinges on is this guy, he changes, he's, he's going to have compassion and he's going to be, um, you know, respectful and he's going to, um, do nice things and, and be a good person. And, and that's what makes this a tragedy is that that happens. And then all of a sudden he's, he's out, he's on the floor dead. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Lead in his belly. Lead poisoning. <laughs> So anything else with the self-improvement of Salvador Ross? Because I think there is some stuff we could talk about as far as like real change. Well, it, it, it also reminds me of other literary characters. Uh, I think HG Wells did a story like the, the man who could do anything or something like that. Um, 
and with with that story, it's more he's he's accidentally creating you know tornadoes in his room and you know things like that. It's it's more like the craziness that's happening, but it's still that type of 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 uh, character with that type of power. And um, there's a couple of characters like that in in comic books as well. Um, one is this. I forget exactly what I, I don't have it with me, um, but it's a it, it's sort of an, an unattractively drawn character. It's it's sort of like a an overweight teenage boy type of a character, and he just has this tremendous power to do anything. And like it just shows him walking on the bottom of the ocean. But it's just one of those things where it's just like a regular person with with absolute positive, out of control superpower. But you know, does he use it? in any real purposeful way. No, not really. And, uh, in John Burns, um, fantastic four run, there was a character who just, they had like an issue and they were fighting. They were dealing with all the stuff that was coming up because this guy was, was just like daydreaming or something. And, um, and then he was like, Oh, but that's nothing. And then he's like, just went back to work and everything went away. And the fantastic four were like, what was all that? And they, I guess they never discovered, exactly what went on it was just like craziness for a day and then this guy just went back to you know just walking down the street and they never really dug into um or at least john byrne didn't dig into you know the the character's history or anything like that it was kind of like one of those wacky one issue stories um but anyway this is what that's what this made me think of well what i appreciate about this is I mean, they they stuck with the the moral theme that they were going for, which is mm-hmm. basically, um, what do you what does it take to to change, you know, and what does it take for him? What does it take to get the girl? And mm-hmm. she, she doesn't care about the money, she doesn't care about the clothes, she doesn't care about all these things. She only wants the thing that she has seen in her father, which is that compassion. And she wants something, something he can never have. And then it turns it on right. its head. It's like, well, what if you could buy it for a hundred thousand dollars? And so yeah. I, I appreciate that. Also, I like the, the tragedy that comes out of it yeah. where as the, <laughs> the very next day after he actually gets the thing that helps <laughs> him get the girl. Um, well, that speaks to like, you can have you have this power that can pretty much get you anything if you work it right, but yeah, you know it it didn't help you survive in the end. Yep, because you know it, it it's it's sort of an ingenious little story because he took away the thing from the person like if he had gone to someone else and gotten the compassion then, you know, maybe it would have been much easier because other people have compassion. But no, he goes to the one person who his his entire fate depends on this person having compassion and takes that away from the person. You know, it's just an ingenious little twist. It is, and it's also ingenious in the sense that when you think about he goes to dad and... Dad. He goes to the dad and... He's like, I want to take the one thing that your daughter actually likes about you. And when he goes to do it, then, you know, he's doing it completely callously. 
He's going and saying, I want this thing. Your daughter loves this about you, but I need it. And so I want it. Give it to me. And he's not (laughs) thinking about her. He's thinking about himself still at that point. Then after he makes a deal, he's changed to be someone who does put other people first. And he is, you know, he's, he's convinced her and it's been 24 hours, you know, but (laughs) it's because of that though, he, he now is thinking of her first. Like he would, and this version of him would never think to do that. Yeah. You know, cause mm-hmm. that was actually not a good thing. Now flip side of that, you know, the question is, did the dad actually know what kind of a deal he was making? And that's one thing that because the story stuck with it and had the conversation instead of fading to black, you get the impression he's like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll sure. I'll take your money, but <laughs> you know, you're, you're offering me a magic deal. You know, you're, you're giving me magic beans. So sure. I'll take right. it, but you know, whatever, you know? And yeah. And so this is, it is, it's, it's, it's tight. It's well done. It is not perfect, but a lot of the imperfections I think come from just the format, the, the weakness of the, the shorter format that doesn't allow it to dig in to some of this stuff is, and, and give it a little more time to sit and marinate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I tell you my favorite line from this episode? <laughs> Go ahead. I don't, <laughs> I can't remember the context now, but this is when he's confronting her about how she doesn't like him. And he says, well, I've got a Christmas morning surprise for you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that part. That's awesome. That and then very, of course there's uh, lick the belt, the bully. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the bully. All right. Final words about the self-improvement of Salvador Ross. Yeah. If you, if you go for self-improvement, if you're, if you're the one who thinks you can make the change in yourself, then think again, because true change only comes from, from God doing, creating that change inside you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any kind of, personal change where it's just you it is a tragedy yeah it is a tragedy you may not get shot by a guy in a wheelchair with a gun hidden under his blanket but there's other maybe more you will. <laughs> maybe but there's other more uh consequential things that are going to happen in the meantime yeah that whole becoming a new creation i like what they do here i wish they could show more of the new creation but yeah, we can only become a new creation through transformation through Christ. Right. Right. Still, you know, there's it's an ongoing process. It's a it's a process. It really is. So probe seven over and out. This episode, Evan. <laughs> uh, let's see what Rod Serling says at the beginning of that episode. He says. One Colonel Cook, a traveler in space. He's landed on a remote planet several million miles from his point of departure. He can make an inventory of his plight by just one 360-degree movement of head and eyes. Colonel Cook has been set adrift in an ocean of space in a metal lifeboat that has been scorched and destroyed and will never fly again. He survived the crash, but his ordeal is yet to begin. Now he must give battle to loneliness. Now Colonel Cook must meet the unknown. It's a small planet set deep in space, but for Colonel Cook... 
it's the Twilight Zone. And then this is what uh, Mark Scott Zickery says for his uh, his synopsis. After Probe 7 crashes, Cook receives a transmission from home telling him that a nuclear war has destroyed his planet and that Cook, therefore, is stranded permanently. Exploring outside his ship, he discovers a footprint. He invites whoever made the print to come out and be friendly, but all he gets for his trouble is a rock hurled at his skull. Eventually, however, the stranger does emerge. She is Norda, a space traveler, the sole survivor when her own planet went out of its orbit. The two of them will start new lives together on a first-name basis. His is Adam. Hers is Eve. As for the planet, Eve gives it a name. Earth. And then Rod Sterling says, do you know these people? Names familiar, are they? They lived a long time ago. Perhaps they're part fable. Perhaps they're part fantasy. And perhaps the place they're walking to now is not really called Eden. We offer it only as a presumption. This has been the Twilight Zone. <laughs> and they also eat something that is, uh, uh, it's sep- Selpa. Selpa, which spelled backwards is apples. Almost. (laughs) So here's the one really interesting tidbit of information from the book. The script arrived. uh, This is according to William Frog, um, who uh, worked on the Twilight Zone. He said the script arrived. It was 45 pages. I said, Rod, it's a half hour show, pal. You of all people know we can't use more than 30 or 32 pages. He said, don't worry. Just cut whatever you think we don't need. There were these speeches that went on and on for pages. So I remember taking 10 pages out of the script and it didn't affect it in the least. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So Evan, you didn't Mm -hmm. know this. You couldn't know this. This is one of, if not my most hated episodes of the Twilight Zone. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I liked the twist. The twist got me. It did. Yeah, <laughs> it got me because I thought because obviously it was going to be Adam and Eve, but I thought it was like it's a sci-fi retelling of Adam and Eve on a faraway planet, and they're going to restart the human race there as Adam and Eve. But no, this is the actual Adam and Eve from our planet. And they have come here from different planets, and that's how. And that's an alternate take on how life on Earth started. I thought that was that. I didn't catch that part until the very last, uh, the very last line she says. I didn't get it, so I thought that was cool. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting because this trope exists in in both iterations. There's the you know, it's really Adam and Eve, and then you have the, oh no, it's the Adam and Eve idea, you know, but now we're, we're, we're using that as in a completely different setting, and we're just saying it's quote-unquote Adam and quote-unquote Eve for this planet or for this timeline or whatever right. it is. So, yeah, sometimes um, when when you're faced with this tropes, a lot of the times the only way that they can, they can twist it is, is just twist it to the point where you, it does still trick you at the end. Or so, you could just not use this trope because it's stupid. There's that. <laughs> I hate the trope. That's my problem. I hate this trope. I really do. And it, what's kind of funny is I do remember in science class 
in would have been seventh grade. I was sitting at the table with my friend Kippy and we were just kind of just talking and just being like, what if, what if, what if? And so we actually kind of wrote this story, but it was a ship. It was the, the idea was what if life here came from Mars and the ship landed, crash landed on Mars and the two survivors from the crash were Adam and Eve. And we were just like, Ooh, what if? And we, and then Kippy's like, but actually that's been a Twilight Zone episode. And I'm like, oh, well. Basis for Battlestar Galactica as well. <laughs> well, I mean, but anyway, it was, and I was just like, oh, I'm not as, not as excited about this anymore. So I don't know if that's colored me for the trope. Cause you know, I thought that I had created the trope and then yeah. found out that no, long before you were born, this trope was happening, but yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> but then I also hate the science in it too. Cause they're talking about how he's millions of miles away from earth, which still doesn't put him out of the solar system or from his, from his home planet. Um, right. Which doesn't it's the wouldn't... 60s. No, no, no. You can't say that, man. Also, <laughs> he talks about how this is my galaxy here. Yeah. Oh, is that your galaxy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. I did and how did that. she get to the planet? Because her planet went out of orbit. She didn't even ride yeah. a spaceship. She rode a planet to get there. Like yeah. it just is bad science. It's the, I mean, Rod Serling did the story. He he wrote it. Um, and when I, I was being a little facetious when I said, I, I went back and read the original for both of these episodes. Um, but I actually did. I went back and read the Genesis account. Um, just nice. so I could say that I read the original of this story, <laughs> but it was Rod it was Serling it? original story. He wrote another one though. That's almost exactly like this with Charles Bronson. Yeah. Uh, but it actually takes place on Earth, and they're the two last survivors of a war, and they're from either side of the conflict. Right. And so what's kind of funny is you potentially that war that destroyed his planet could have been, you know, the war that, that Charles Bronson survived uh yeah. to become Adam and Eve on the on the other planet. But yeah, it's it's that same idea. Um, I'm just not a big fan of the whole because yeah. the science doesn't work. There's so many yeah. things about the science that doesn't work, but let's just talk about current human genetics. Right. <laughs> like I get, yeah, that... I, I get the whole thing where, you know, Adam and Eve were perfect. Mm-hmm. Unfallen. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so the idea of the, the way genetics works and the way population can spread and stuff could be different. But these people in this story, Probe 7 over and out, these two people are not unfallen Adam and Eve. And so... No, but they're not. They're from different planets. So there's no way that they share any of the same genetic traits. So but their children will. Ad- yeah, so did Adam and Eve's. The problem is when you have the same mutations in your genetic code and you and you're that close together and you remarry and reproduce, it has a higher likelihood of those mutations coming together in a way that is, will cause deformities. Yeah. We but have to keep Adam and Eve out of this conversation, though, because they were I'm unf- not talking about Adam and Eve. Well, I'm you just did. About- you just brought them up. <laughs> I'm talking about these two people here. Sure, they're from another planet. If their genetics are close enough for them to be able to breed, first of all, that's a problem, right? 
Second of all, their children are going to, there might be through recession and re, recessive genes, you might have their children have enough of a difference in the gene pool to not have the inbreeding problem. But this is the problem that you're facing with any scenario like this is the inbreeding problem. And these two people, if this is where humanity came from, then we're in trouble. Well, or we were super <laughs> lucky, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and whenever you get these types of tropes as well, especially the ones where it's actual Adam and Eve, um, a lot of it has to do with what, you know, the, like in this one, the, the destruction of one of their, uh, their systems, you know, and then the other one actually, you know, it commits violence by, by throwing a rock at, at the thing that, that she didn't understand. So you're seeing evidences of sin before the fall. Oh, that's the least of the problems. Because (laughs) there was like... I'm just saying billions of other people before them, you know, I'm just, yes, I know that. But theologically, I'm just saying that when you get these things, a lot of times you get that you get the, the, you know, the people not understanding, you know, because of the fall, we have sin, we have death. And a lot of people don't understand that when they're writing these stories. Well, let's just say, I don't think Rod Serling cared too much about theological correctness in writing this story. I, I'm saying that's a moot point because it the fact that there were billions of people already before this version of Adam and Eve uh, completely throws out any actual connection to the divine creative narrative. Well, yes, but what he's trying to say in this story is these are Adam and Eve from you know, from the planet Earth, this you know, our relatives. That's what he's trying to say. I mean, he gives but himself what, an what out. I'm trying to say, he gives himself an out when he says, uh, "Perhaps we offer it only as a presumption. It could have yeah. been this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it couldn't have. <laughs> no. I I actually appreciate this trope because it is uh, flying in the face of man evolved from apes." on earth so you're one at least one step closer to the truth mm-hmm. and so i appreciate that i i really don't think it does though because i mean i think the assumption would be that rod serling if he were to develop the two planets they came from they probably evolved from those planets from right. but, something like that but then here's the other that. question how is it that the monkeys on the planet where they are have dna that would be so similar to these two aliens who came to that planet. Like, then you're getting into the whole thing with, uh, why does everyone look like a human with little bumps stuck on their head in Star Trek? And you, <laughs> you know, and how does that work? Well, that's because years ago, the preservers went around and, and seeded every planet with, with right. the DNA junk for whatever it takes for the, the humans to evolve on those planets. And who did the preservers evolve from? Well, that doesn't matter because <laughs> it doesn't matter where they came from. All that matters is that's the reason why humans and Vulcans are able to have children together. Oh, and it's turtles all the way down then. Okay. That's good. Good to know. No, no. I mean, there's one planet where something started. Like if, 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 if you're talking about Star Trek, 
right. and you're, you're going to logically think it through, then the preservers thing can work, but the preservers came from somewhere. And whether it's divine creation, probably not since Gene Roddenberry created that universe. <laughs> so his universe probably didn't start there, but um, yeah, definitely turtles all the way down. All right, then. <laughs> Until you get to Yertle, who wants to be on top. That's right. Yertle. <laughs> so, Always messing things up, Yertle. Anyway, yeah. I just thought it was really funny, Evan, that you picked this one, because like, I, I'm, as, soon as, as soon as I saw your pick, I was like, okay, let's do it. And... <laughs> it's on. <laughs> I liked it. I, because... I liked it because the twist got me, and then I liked it before that because I like the trope of an Adam and Eve starting on a new planet and having to restart a species. Uh, You know, I obviously don't like it when it's trying to replace the biblical narrative, but if if you're in a sci-fi setting, and like just like how they set it up, these are the last two survivors of their peoples— and they have to restart their own population on this planet, but they have the added advantage of, you know, knowing technology and, and knowing the history of what has already happened. I really like that. I think that's fascinating. If they had stopped it there, I would have been fine. It's that this whole episode hinges on the fact that his first name is Adam and her first name is Eve and the way that they introduce themselves at the end and they go by first names now. And I'm just, no, (laughs) no, it's not good. Are you just cheesy, man? It's cheesy. I liked it. No way. It's super duper cheesy. Now, Harlan Ellison did a story like this again, hinging everything on the name. (laughs) Uh, but his ending reveals that her name is Eve and his name is George. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I can't stand that kind of cheese. I just can't. I just, no, no. And maybe it's because I've seen it in, in many different ways then yeah. since talking with my friend Kippy. Um, <laughs> Dimension X did one like that. Yeah, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been an old time radio. It's been in magazines. Um, I was reading about um, an editor, a sci-fi magazine editor from, I think it was in the fifties. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, shoot. It looks like I closed that tab. Anyway, he was saying that um, he gets one of those a month yeah. where the, the twist ending of about the planet is that it's Adam and Eve and it was called Eve. Yeah. Uh, Brian Aldis, I think, was the name of him. Wally, you know, did a similar thing. Of course, they weren't actually humans, but it's, you know, Wally and, and, and the other robot is Eve, you know, and it's it's like you see it over and over again. And after a while, you're just like, OK, <laughs> I don't mind it in 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 Wally, though, partially because it's that's not the only one, you know, like. He's yeah, they, Wally. They He's not Adam. Story. Now, if they named him Adam, that, then I wouldn't have yeah. enjoyed it quite as much. It's just on the names for you. It is. It really is. That's that's ridiculous to me. <laughs> that's ridiculous <laughs> to you that it bothers me that it's just 
it yeah. bugs me because the rest of the story is good and so the names just ruin it for you i don't well okay yeah. so for this one it's not just the names i mean the rest of the story is not good the science doesn't work the terminology doesn't work he's able to talk in real time back to his home planet <laughs> that doesn't work i mean there is so much about this science fiction story that just does it's science fantasy it's fiction like there is nothing about the story that is any kind of actual science fiction other than it's on planets it just it the science doesn't work yep it could have been someone tunneling up from underground and you know it doesn't even have to be a, a spaceship thing it, and you know it's it's that's just the trapping of it. I, I think it's cheesy. I do. I mean, that's that's all. <laughs> it's it's just cheesy. Yeah, okay. it's just well well it's... filmed and well acted. Yeah, yeah, no, they they said their lines, and, and, and you guys she... are comparing this to Star Trek, and you're calling this cheesy. I feel like they're on <laughs> Star par. Trek's cheesy. Yeah, I I, yeah, I would say that there is. are episodes of Star Trek that are worse than this one for sure, but there are the vast majority that are not. And yeah, I, I, I mean, you're, it, it, it is on par sometimes Spock's brain worse than this easily. Um, but at least they've got their distances, right. And did their <laughs> a little bit of research, you know, <laughs> it's like when, uh, when, when Scotty in, uh, in, uh, episode four, He's like, I've come millions of miles, not thousands, thousands, thousands of miles. <laughs> That's my issue. That's my problem. Uh, problems, okay. I should say. Um, the other thing I don't like about it, and, and this is this is me personally too, is um, I'm not a big fan of fictionalizing, especially to suit a pagan purpose. Um, Adam and Eve, or or the Bible. You know, yeah, and well, I, I definitely agree with that. And and so you know, this kind of goes along with um, oh, Alien Covenant, right? Again, that's a it's got a seeding thing where they're they're seeding the Earth for life. Uh, aliens come to the Earth, seed it for life, and then they leave. Um, they had a whole subplot that they took out of that movie. I think we've talked about this before, where the intention was that the engineers created the xenomorph aliens to put on earth to punish humanity for killing Christ. Well, and the reason they are doing that is because Christ was an alien. So they created life on earth and then realized things are going so bad. So they send one of their own to earth and the earthlings, as this person comes from space to preach love and peace, the earthlings crucify him. And that's why the engineers hate humanity and want to destroy humanity with these ugly, crazy, uh, acid blood aliens. And so those kind of stories, they, they just, it's, it sticks in my craw a little bit. It's rewriting history. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they're taking God out of it, you know, like when any well, most David of the time Goliath story oh. where, David wins because he was clever or, you know, all that's, I mean, oh, you're just taking, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's sad when you do that, that type of stuff because they don't get it at all. Right. Speaking of David and Goliath, 
I, I don't remember if I've talked about this with you guys before, but I love the idea. First of all, obviously David had great faith that he's going to be able to go into this battle and win. I don't think he quite had any idea of what he's going to be able to do to win though. He went and got five stones. Like yeah. he thought he was going to get off five shots. And, <laughs> and first of all, he didn't need to, he only needed to get off one. But then I'm thinking he, he thinks he's going into battle. He's going to, he's, he's going to get five shots at this, but yeah, it well, was one, just one. The interesting things is, is that, um, Goliath in the Bible, it says he had four brothers that David and his, his mighty men, I think took care of. And I'm sort of like, Hmm. So those other four stones probably <laughs> for those four brothers. <laughs> that could be, that could be, uh, I do want to hear, Evan, because I, I thought maybe one of the reasons why you chose this was because I know you've written that book about Eve. Yeah. Was that... uh, it wasn't really an inspiration. Okay. Um, right. It's just the twist got me. Like, I like it when the twist gets me. So did you not I, see, I it see it coming? coming. You, you didn't know that it was going to be Adam and Eve at the end? No, I, I, no, I did not know it was going to be their names were going to be Adam and Eve and the plan that they were on this earth. I did not know that. Okay. I thought this was just a straightforward Adam and Eve type story. Like, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie knowing with Nicholas cage? No, 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 but I've heard of it. Well, they do something. So sim- well, I can't spoil it. So they'll do something similar there. Um, and, uh, so I, is, I've always been intrigued by that. Sort of thing. Is that the one where you can kind of see into the future and, that's where he finds he finds a he finds a document that uh, somebody has written years ago that predicts every oh. mass death that's going to happen uh, in the next fifty years. So that is not the one that I'm, I'm thinking of. So no, no you, I haven't. You're thinking seen it. of you're thinking of next. Yes, that's um, it. Yes, that's and it. I haven't seen that one. Uh, I don't remember much about it other than they did some good stuff where he's able to see, I don't know, a few minutes into the future. And so mm-hmm. he's able to like kind of see every single possibility that could happen and then just right. choose the right one. Nice. And they, they do, they show it. Well, that's what I remember about it is whatever that sci-fi can see. I don't even remember why he can do it or how, but wherever it came from and however it worked, they really did a good job showing it. And cool. yeah, that it was, it was neat. Well, there's a, if you guys get HBO Max again, there's an excellent episode of the Batman animated series where it's an original concept just on this show. And it's a guy who can travel back in time 14 seconds. And so it's this like middle aged man is just owning Batman, Robin and Batgirl, because every time they stop him, he just goes back 14 seconds and does the right thing. <laughs> to, to get out of their, you know, crosshairs. And it's really, it's really cool. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of cool. That'd That's be really still be tiring though. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it myself and thinking, you know, 14 seconds after a few hundred dodging the fist. Well, unless when he goes back in time, his stamina returns to what it was 14 seconds ago. That could be, I mean, it's time travel already. Yeah. So, All right. So this has been our episode about Twilight Zone. And I think the linking connective tissue is sin nature. 
even yeah. though uh, Probe Seven kind of forgets about sin nature again. I just thought it was so cheesy that they they stop and and frame the the frame with the apple. Like, what is that meant to symbolize? <laughs> that does not thematically fit anything they've done with that whole episode, other than yeah. it's Adam and Eve, so they have a fruit, and it's called it's called a selpa. And so it's it's apples spelled backwards. I didn't even make the apple connection. Yeah. I just thought they were talking about stuff. Well, they're standing <laughs> there holding apple. like she takes the apple down from the tree and then extends it over to him and hands it to him. And again, rewriting history. So Adam and Eve in that great place and she gets the fruit. She hands it over to him. And again, thematically, I'm just like, what are they trying to say here? There, it's nothing more than, and you know what? Here, here's my problem, maybe Evan, and I don't know if this will explain it better for you. It's, it's nothing more than them being clever at this point. Mm-hmm. They're being, well, oh, was, it's so just... clever that they, oh, and they're gonna have fruit, and it's gonna be an apple, but it's not gonna be an apple. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even thinking about any of that. I was just along for the ride. I didn't even make a connection. Because, like I said, until they said at the very end that his name was Adam and she named the thing Earth, I was like, ah. This is after that, though. They After they do all that, then they walk over to the tree and get the fruit off the tree. And she takes it down. She gives it to him. He takes it. Uh, of course, there's no snake there. And, of course, they're not naked. And, of course, God's not there to <laughs> miss their walk in the morning. Right. But... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do want to know, like, well, okay, is there some deeper message they're trying to say? And I don't see it. Other than maybe the deeper message is there is no sin. There is no serpent. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, My I mean, deeper message that I took away from it was if I was watching this with an unbelieving friend, I could transition into a conversation about the actual story. You could. And it'd be this conversation we just had. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's what's different. Here's what, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if nothing else, they did put that on TV in front of millions of viewers. Yes. Who could have thought about it and talked about it. Yeah. But I mean, you could have done it with my episode and, you know, drawn out the whole thing with sin and death and, and uh, this has a more direct connection to the Bible. Uh, yeah, it, it has a direct connection to a Bible story, but I mean, it still has, you know, connections to, I mean, my, my episode has connections to Bible truths when it's talking about those types of things. So, well, and, but, and, yeah. and that's a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. The nice thing about Twilight Zone, when it's done really, really well, and even when it's not done really, really well, it gives you something to think about, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. If nothing else, like what's cool about this episode for you and me, Evan, is it gave you stuff to think about that really like engaged you like, this is cool. I like this because of blah, blah, blah. And for me, it engaged me. I'm like, I don't like this because blah, blah, blah. And, and we're still coming out of it. And none of us are coming out of it. Like, this is a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I would absolutely say watching probe seven over and out, not a waste of time as much as I don't like it, you know? It's... I did watch an episode yesterday that was a waste of time. <laughs> was it? <laughs> Which one? Which one? I can't remember the title, but it's the one where uh, 
the policeman goes to check on this woman who's a recluse and uh he finds <laughs> giant yeah. fingerprints on his cop car yeah oh it was dumb <laughs> it was like the, it was fun no wait is that the one where is that the one where the twist is there's this giant and then it's actually controlled by two little tiny people yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's not very good. Yeah, well, like everything building up to the the reveal at the end was cool. I was into it, but then the explanation they give for even why they're doing this and the methods that they used, it was like, this is stupid. Like, what is the point of any of this? But see, that's that's the problem with Twilight Zone style writing is when you're writing where there has to be a big twist. Yeah. You have to stick the landing. <laughs> and so they're able to so well in so many of these episodes, build the mystery, build the mystery, build the tension, the suspense. But then like with that one, oh man. <laughs> well, one I appreciated that caught me off guard was the one where the the old man who has that grandfather clock and when mm-hmm. it runs yeah. down, he's going to die. Yep. And I love that one because the twist was there is no twist. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you think there's going to be a twist because they set you up to think there's a twist in the middle of the show, but at the end, nope. Yep. Some of them are like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's cool. But what I was going to say is there's something to talk about, something to think about. But the best of the best are ones that get you thinking about like human nature and they get you yeah. thinking about like, like, what would I do in that situation? Mm-hmm. You know, and and the other thing I really appreciate, like with this, the episode about Salvador Ross guy was not a good person, you know, yeah. and he really it's it's all about getting his cup up comeuppance. He in a fit of selfishness made a horrible, horrible choice. <laughs> That ended up being the death of him, you know, and it is, yeah, it's tragedy. You're not, you're, you're watching it go down and it's going to happen too late. Yep. So. All right, gentlemen, final words before we turn this one in. My final words would be, um, and the, and the, the epic, uh, words of of of, uh, of Rod Serling. Um, trying to read something real quick. Let's see. <laughs> my, my final words are uh, one of the best episodes of Adventures in Odyssey was or, was originally a script that the writer wrote for the Twilight Zone that they didn't take. And so he reformatted it for Adventures in Odyssey. That is cool. That is cool. The episode is called Someone to Watch Over Me, if you would like to look it up. They have an audio version, and they made it into a video version. Oh, that's nice. Yes. That is very cool. Yeah, I will say um, my last words are uh, lick the bully. (laughs) 
That's your. That's the epic Rod Sterling quote. Yep. There we go. There okay. we go. All right. You're welcome. And my final words are: Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us talking about this fun stuff. And you know, maybe in 200 episodes, we'll do another one, or maybe sooner, because yeah. Evan still has four seasons to watch backwards. So. <laughs> well, yes, and there's a bunch of other episodes in season five I liked. So, and yeah. there's three other series of this. There's yes, there's the eighties, and then I don't think there was one in the nineties. Yeah, there was the one with Our Forrest Whitaker, two thousands, and then there's yeah. the one with Jordan Peele, and, and then the movies, and well, movie. Wasn't there a second one? No, they just did the one. Maybe I'm thinking about Creep Show. Yeah, that's a different thing. They, yeah, the, and that movie we could do that sometime. Maybe that that'd be interesting because yeah. what's what's interesting about the movie we've talked about this before, but they they redid two episodes of the Twilight Zone. One of them right. being um, uh, Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet, All right, with John Lithgow instead of William Shatner. All right. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great day, and even in the Twilight Zone. I wish you Godspeed. You've been listening to Shadows and Substance, a Strangers and Aliens podcast series, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Evan David. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join the conversation by visiting our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. And as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed. I just realized lick the bully means beat up the bully.